0: Dad of three kids. Uh, I've been here for like seven or eight weeks. And I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me and He loves you. And that changes everything. And it changes the way we think about work. And so tonight's actually gonna be a little bit different. I'm gonna talk about Taylor Swift so get excited or not excited, depending. But it's also different in the sense that for the past however many weeks, six or seven weeks, our sermons have been, you know, taken from Luke and very focused on, like, the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel? What has Jesus done for us? And kind of like this bedrock of, like, okay, Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, rose from the dead to give us new life. That's the bedrock. And this one's going to, like, turn a corner. We're still talking about the gospel, but now it's more like, what is the good news for my work? And then next week it's going to be talking about, like, how Jesus sends us, into this world on mission. So this is going to be a more practical, more like action-oriented lesson, which I hope, oops, sorry, microphone, which I hope you'll enjoy. Um, so I'm going to start off with uh, some Taylor Swift lyrics. So who's listened to the new album from Taylor Swift? Be honest, guys. Thank you. Dawson, I see nice you. No, put them high. Who's listened to it? Like the whole thing. Who's listened to it more than three times? <laughs> okay. Who's listened to it like probably every day all the way through? Maybe a couple of people. Okay, nice. So we like it. We like it. I've listened to it. I, I'm not sure if it's going to make you respect me more or less. I have listened to like 80% of the songs. I'm not going to say I loved it, okay? But like, I appreciated some of the songs. I like this one. I thought this was a bit catchy. And I wanted to use it actually because it kind of makes the point I'm trying to make. Uh, karma. I'm going to sing this song for you. Just kidding. Not going to sing it. Uh so here's the lyrics. Cuz Karma's in Karma is the thunder rattling your ground, Karma's on your scent like a bounty hunter. Karma's going to track you down step by step from town to town. Nobody writes lyrics like Taylor Swift guys. I mean come on. <laughs> uh sweet like justice, Karma's a queen. Karma takes all my friends to the summit. Karma's the guy on the screen coming straight home to me. Karma's my boyfriend, Karma's a god. Karma is the breeze in my hair on the weekend. Karma's a relaxing thought. Can you just hear it in your head? I can hear it in my head. It's nice. Um, So a couple weeks ago, I I wasn't going to preach this sermon uh, until a couple weeks ago when I preached on the story of the prodigal son. And um, the whole point was basically, we don't earn things in the kingdom of God. We don't earn stuff. And the thought I heard from many of you in the following week in conversation with you guys was like, okay, I get it. Like, Jesus gives us heaven. He gives us his kingdom. We don't earn it. But if that's true, then, like, what's the point to working? Like, what's the point to schoolwork, to a career, a job? You know, and so I realized that's a good point. We should talk about that. We should think about that. And so, like, I'm going to sum up, kind of like, a Akuria, it's easy to answer that question, but I wanted to preach this whole sermon on, like, the depth of how Jesus feels about your work. Okay? So, like, um, we think that work is for achieving and earning things because that's the way it works. You go to work, you earn money, etc. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus has loved us and we respond to that love by working. So we work one way or the other. It's just a different motivation to earn versus having already been given something. So that's like the 62nd version of like what this sermon kind of fleshes out. Um, But I want to go into this really cool parable that answers the question, does Jesus care about your work, your schoolwork, your classes, your future careers? Does he care about it? Because a lot of times preachers like me have done a really bad job of making it seem like the Christian life is really just about, like, maybe, like, kind of a devotion in the morning and, like, feeling good about Jesus and going to church on the weekends and, like, not doing certain things. And, like, that's the Christian life which is total hogwash. If that's the Christian life, you just go join CrossFit, you know, or like just take up knitting or some like other habit that you can just do that you like kind of makes your life a little bit better. The Christian life, the kingdom of God, it lays claim over everything. And so we have to look at work and see how the kingdom of God changes that. So um, in this passage, Ellie just read, thank you Ellie for that. We see... A story about this this nobleman who goes off to a far kingdom and three stewards that he sets up to care for his stuff while he's gone. Uh, We're going to dig into that and answer this question. Does Jesus care about your work? So first let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this chance to preach in this passage. I'm excited about it. Jesus, I just, I hope that this isn't just me up here saying stuff that I think is true, but that Holy Spirit, you would come here And you would change our hearts, change our minds, help us to see our work and think about every kind of work that we do in athletics in academics, future in our occupations. Help us to see it in your kingdom. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so where are we going to go tonight? One, does Jesus want your work? Does he want your work? Two, what kind of work counts in the kingdom of God? Does he want your work? What kind of work counts in the kingdom of God? And number three, so what? What do we do with that? All right, so number one, does Jesus want your work? So uh, I, I realized recently that this is actually not a true story, which is kind of a bummer to me because I loved it. So a fake story, but it makes a good story anyway. Ernest Shackleton, you guys know this guy? The explorer went to the South Pole? Yeah, the South Pole, or tried at least. Got, his ship got frozen on the way his whole career had to like basically survive for months and months on like nothing crazy story. You can read it. It's called endurance is the book. That's like a really good, it's an awesome story. Anyway, <clears throat> supposedly not true, but supposedly when he's looking for men to join him on this expedition, he posts, um, this in, in the paper, 1913. Here's what he supposedly says. Man wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter, cold, long hours of complete darkness, Safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in an event of success. So okay, maybe he didn't actually post that in the paper, like, but he was looking for a certain kind of person, and he did choose his team very carefully. He needed a certain kind of person to join him on this crazy arduous journey. And we see in this story, this parable, Jesus wants workers. He wants workers. Verse 12. Nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. And then to return, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas, 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 I don't know. It doesn't matter. Gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. So quick note before we continue, a mina, a mina is like four months wages. So like, I don't actually know what the average W.L. graduate makes. Let's say three years after graduation. Let's just say a hundred thousand. Maybe that's low. I don't know. So like, let's say it's 100000 Some of you are like, that sounds awesome. Some of you are like, that's terrible. I don't know. So like, let's say you're making $100,000 3 years after graduation. Raise your hand if that sounds good to you. Raise your hand if like, that's trash. Okay, cool. So yeah, I heard I'll take anything. I appreciate that mindset. So if you're making $100,000, that would be $33,000 is one minus. Okay, so 10 minus is $330,000. See that math? Yeah. No, no dummy up here, guys. I can do math. All right, so uh, a mina, a lot of money, $33,000. All right. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first one comes and is like, hey, look, you gave me a mina, and it's earned 10 more. That's a pretty impressive return. So he's like, here's what he says. Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little you shall have authority over 10 cities. Second guy didn't do quite as good, but still earned five minas out of one. Pretty impressive. God has a similar response to him. He said to him, you are to be over five cities, but not everybody did good. Okay, so the last guys. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Uh, Business majors, not a good like business choice. The handkerchief tactic does not grow your money. I was afraid of you, he says, because you're a severe man you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He's basically saying like, I was worried that if I went out and actually worked and did business and tried to grow this, that I might lose it and that you would come back and be hard on me. So instead, I just like played it safe. And here's the response. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why didn't you put my money in the bank? That at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. He's saying, at least like bare minimum... Give me some 10, 50 percent return on this thing. So let's kind of walk through this real quick, just so we can kind of understand this parable. Who are the characters in this thing? So nobleman who goes to receive a kingdom, that person represents Jesus. Okay, because just like the nobleman in the story, he goes to receive a kingdom, and then he comes back. Jesus, as he's telling this story to his disciples, he knows that he's about to be crucified on the cross, rise from the dead, and then ascend into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, guess what he sits on? The throne of the kingdom, right? And when he comes back, it's like he's coming back to the servants in the story. When he comes back, it's like to fully claim all of his kingdom. So the nobleman represents Jesus. Okay. What about um, the salty citizen? Like the one who's like, oh, yeah, the ones ones that send a message after him are like, we don't want this guy to rule over us. Okay. If Jesus hasn't given you new life, if uh, you're not following Jesus, that's you. So, like, no judgment it's just in the story, you're the one who's like, actually, I don't want Jesus to rule over my life. You could also fit into this category, um, you know, not the followers of Jesus. If you're the last servant who like doesn't actually invest the money or do anything, uh, the ten mina guy, the five mina guy, that's the followers of Jesus, Christians, right? Okay, so that's who everybody is. What's the point of the story? Like, why did Jesus tell this long, drawn out story? Um... I want you to see that he's talking to his followers, who, his disciples, right? And they've literally been following Jesus around, like walking in his footsteps, going with him wherever he goes. And as soon as he goes into heaven, he knows that they're going to be like, what do we do now? <laughs> what do we, I mean, do we just try to like figure out how to apply what he said? Which is yes, like do what he said to do. But he's saying what that looks like is work. He says, when I'm God, I want you, my servants, my people, to be working. Okay, so that's the point. And that's why he's kind of hard on the last servant. Like in this nobleman, Jesus is speaking as though like the nobleman represents him. And he's kind of hard on this last guy because Jesus isn't interested in having followers who just kind of like have this weighted out mentality. Like we can have the idea. All right, I got baptized when I was like 10, you know, made a profession of faith. As Jesus into my heart, whatever. I guess I'm good. Like, I've got my ticket to heaven. still trust Jesus. It's like, now I just got to, like, play it safe, wait it out until either he comes back or I die. And that's when, like, it begins. Like, and that's how and I finally made it at that point. He's saying, no, don't do that. That's not what he wants from his people. He wants workers. He wants people who are engaged in the labor of the kingdom every single day. And so... What I want you to see here is actually really exciting, is that we think the significance of our work, some of you may think that you're gonna go into like occupational therapy or journalism or business, finance, and that the sum of the significance of that work is going to be in providing for your family and earning money and giving you kind of a sense of like fulfillment and satisfaction, something to do. And that's all good stuff, and that's true, but that's not the sum. That doesn't even begin to tap into like the significance of that work. Actually, Jesus is saying all of our work has a much deeper significance. It, 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 faithfulness in small work here, relatively small, whether that be finance or your classes now, faithfulness in that small stuff leads to an even more lasting impact in the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back. So to illustrate this. Uh, who's watched the, the movie Ben-Hur? The book is super long. Has anybody watched it? Please raise your hands high, because like, it's one of my favorite movies. Okay, assignment, everybody, Like Thanksgiving break maybe, watch Ben-Hur. Incredible movie. It's like four or five hours, big commitment. It's got chariot races, it's got blood. It's awesome. Okay, Ben-Hur's one of my favorite movies. To briefly summarize, Ben-Hur is this like wealthy dude, Wealthy Jew in Israel. And through, like, some weird drama, he gets put on a slave ship. Well, it's, not, it's like a military ship, a warship, a Roman warship. And he's the motor. He's the dude at the oar. And there's, like, all these slaves chained to the oars, just rowing, rowing, rowing. And, like, when it comes time for battle, which it does, like, the dudes, they're, like, beating on the drum. And he's got to, like, roll faster and faster. They're all, like, chained to the oars so where, like, if the ship sinks, they go down with the ship. Pretty scary, pretty intense, but he's faithful. Like all the other guys, are, like giving up or like falling over, like exhausted. He like he keeps on rowing, keeps on rowing, even though like he's a slave in this place that no one would want to ever choose to be. And then their ship sinks, and the Roman general uh, what was his name, Arius, I think. Yeah, Arius, the general, also on the ship. They're both like adrift in the ocean. Uh, ben Hur, the dude, who was a slave, chained to an oar, he. He sees the general in his armor, like, sinking. He grabs him, pulls him up on his piece of wood or whatever, saves this guy's life, who this guy was just his, like, basically the one making him a slave. And then, because this general had seen him being faithful at the oar, goes back to Rome, adopts adopts Ben Hur as his adopted... Roman citizen son, which is like a giant deal in the ancient world, becomes a Roman citizen, means he can't be like whipped by the Romans anymore, which is a good thing if you're a Jew in, in Israel in those days. And he gives him all this opportunity, he invites him to all the parties and Rome is like at his beck and call because this general is like a celebrated guy, number two guy to Caesar and because he was faithful in a little bit, he's like ushered into like this opportunity he never could have had before. The kingdom of God, listen, the kingdom of God affords people like us The opportunity for rapid advancement is what this is saying. In telling this story, Jesus is inviting you to get ambitious. Okay, not for your own glory. It's not about you. It's not how much money you can make. But to get ambitious, to have a larger role in the kingdom of God. Ambitious to spend your life working for his glory. Ambitious to win people into the kingdom of God for eternity ambitious to wrestle this unruly world into submission to the king of kings, ambitious to coax all the dead and broken places of the world, wherever they are, into life in the kingdom. Tonight we're learning that the king of heaven and earth is personally watching your work in computer science 105. Like whatever it is, he's watching. Are you being faithful in small things? Because that's the person he wants of responsibility in even greater things. So if you're interested in that, if you're like, okay, yeah, I, I want to be, I'm interested in rapid advancement. <laughs> like, What does that look like? You need to be asking the question, what is the work that matters in the kingdom of God? Because it's not just any work, right? Like the guy who's working really hard to build like his meth dealing empire. This is not the kind of work that we're talking about. Okay. So what kind of work counts in the kingdom of God? You could work your butt off for 50 years in the secular kingdom and be a hard worker that everyone respects and provide for your family and not count for diddly squat in the kingdom of God. I don't want that for you. So what kind of work counts in the kingdom of God? This is the second point. So there's a a Dutch prime minister and theologian, and he founded a university, which is, it's got a Dutch name, but it's ranked number 82 in the world right now. So it's up there. It's like a good university. This guy found it. His name is Abraham Kuyper. And at his opening address, he said, There's not a square inch, not a square inch, not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not declare mine. In other words, Jesus Christ looks at every square inch, every single part of his world, his creation, looks at every single millimeter in the whole world and says, Mine. That belongs to me. I want that. Mountains, music, men and women. Lord Jesus says, mine. Culture, culinary arts, concerts, construction companies. Jesus says, mine. Fire stations, freeways, finance, forensic psychology. Jesus says all of it is mine. It's all his. He claims it for his own. Psalm twenty. 1-2 Four 1-2 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein it's all his, it's all the Lord's and so the word that sums this up this mindset of like everything belongs to God every possible sphere in which I could have a job that would like deal with something the word for this is stewardship I have a job that is taking care of something that doesn't belong to me. Okay, to steward is to care for something that belongs to somebody else, but they gave it to you to take care of, like house-sitting. It's not yours, it's theirs, but it's your role to take care of it for them. And in this story, the nobleman makes the servants his stewards. He entrusts his money to them to grow for it, to, to grow, to care for the money, to keep it safe until he comes to take it back. So my wife Mary and I, we have three kids. Um... super cute if you haven't seen them for halloween we had uh saint george and the dragon and the princess so if you know the fairy tale it's very very cute so like yeah very cute day for us last night we go trick-or-treating go to the houses get lots of candy we went to jackson street i think i'm just honest guys next year you can go and you can fill up your bags with candy they will not say no to you so pro tip um but so uh we go to the door. We get candy. Actually, if, anyway, my kids are in co- uh, costumes. I wasn't in a costume. It was rainy. I had like my cowboy hat on and my boots on. And the lady was like, I like your costume too. I was like, these are my normal clothes. Like, <laughs> but you're making me feel weird about it now. Um, so anyway, we get home. We have all the candy. We let them eat like a lot of the candy, but stop them before they're going to have like a tummy ache. They go to bed. And before they go to bed, they're like, "What, Mom, Dad, where's the candy going to be? Like, how's it going to be stored? Is it going to be like on the counter, in the bucket? don't touch my candy, don't let Juniper, t- my daughter's name is Juniper, don't let Juniper touch my candy, like very engaged in the question of will my candy be safe, and listen, I'm not saying that we're, like, we're above eating a few pieces of the candy, <laughs> we're not above that, we definitely ate some of it, um, but like not a, not, not a lot, okay, because it's not ours, and because they would lose it if it was gone, but like we were stewards of the candy, maybe that's a bad, il- I don't know, maybe that's a bad illustration, but you get what I'm saying, okay, and what I, what I want you to see here, guys, is, like, this is actually crazy. That in this, uh, in this perspective of, like, the, the kingdom of God perspective that we're talking about, that we're comparing to the secular kingdom, God actually gives you his stuff to take care of. And it's good stuff. Your time. You can use it however you want. doesn't belong to you. It's his. But you get to use it however you want. Your relationships. He's placed the souls of other eternal beings in your care. That's crazy. If you're a friend, if you're a friend of someone, you're a friend to a person who is never going to stop existing into eternity. It's crazy. The natural world itself, obviously, ours to steward. I'm a huge nature freak, so I love that stuff. Um, if you become a parent someday, you'll actually have like a little human being that, like, that's your kid now. <laughs> It's like, okay, I have to keep this thing alive. It's nuts. But it's, God gives that to you, okay? And like the, the wealth that you're going to one day have, the, the jobs, the possessions, it's his. God says it's his. It's not yours, it's his. But he gives it to you, to steward. That's a privilege. So just don't miss that. Like that's a big privilege to be given that. And we are talking about the whole... World, every single thing. Colossians three twenty three. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, okay? Go through your calendar, your planner, every single second every day. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. He doesn't say you're serving the Lord Christ when you go pray. He doesn't say you're serving the Lord Christ when you like share the gospel. He doesn't say you're serving the Lord Christ when you, I don't know, like help a kitten stuck in a tree. He says, whatever you do, you're serving the Lord Christ. If you do that unto the Lord, that's the difference between work in the the kingdom of God and the secular kingdom. Okay, work in the kingdom of God is just all of our work, if done, when we know what we're doing is working for God. We know the things that we're managing belong to God. We know that the resources we're stewarding as we work are His, and we're doing it for Him. Because He He loves us. We love Him. We're motivated to do that work well, to take care. And this is where it gets cool, guys, to like read the Bible and understand... like. The way he wants the world to work. This is why, like, God's character and his law is actually awesome because it lets you see, like, if you go into criminal justice, please, somebody in this room, go into criminal justice. That is broken, my friends, in this country and across the world. So broken. God wants it to look different. That could be your job. That would be awesome. So, in the secular kingdom, though, different agenda. This is the difference, okay? That's work in the kingdom of God. Secular kingdom, you might be doing the same job. But in this scenario, you're trying to make your square inch, your job, your, you know, your, your hour of your day, you're trying to make it look like your own kingdom. You're, you're trying to make your own name look great. It's for your glory, not his glory. You're trying to make the world look like the world you want it to be, where I am, fill in the blank, happy, wealthy, successful, loved, respected. In this mindset, this square inch, this class, this assignment, this job, this relationship, it exists to make me look good and make me feel good. Right, My purpose here is to build my name and my success, which is super twisted if you think about it. Right. Because so uh, example, Lord of the Rings. Raise your hand if you love Lord of the Rings. Come on. OK, yeah. It's not nerdy. It's cool. OK. I also love Lord of the Rings. And um, actually, this is funny. My church on Sunday, the preacher used this example I was going to use it first. So if you were there, I just want to let you know, not stealing. Like, but credit where credit's due. Good story, Justin. Anyway, so uh, in The Lord of the Rings, the third book, The Return of the King, there's this big city, Gondor. It's awesome, beautiful, amazing. But there's no king because the line of kings is dead. It's ended, they think. It turns out the king's actually still out there. And he's coming back. But the guy that's ruling over the city now is the steward, right? That word again, named Denethor. Denethor has gotten a little let the power go to his head, He likes the power. He is not excited about the idea. So when Gandalf, the wizard, comes over, he's like, hey, the king's coming back. He says, says, "Uh, I'm not giving it up. Like, no. Gandalf says, authority is not given you to deny the return of the king, steward. Denethor says, the rule of Gondor is mine and no others. He's not willing to let the power go to his head. He thinks, he sat on this, like, He had in like a little lower throne, right? Instead of like the main throne. But he thought that was the real throne. And like, he let the power go to his head. We do this all the time, guys. We think that just because it's our lives and like we get to spend the time how we want that it belongs to us, but it doesn't. And so we're like Denethor, which for the record, Denethor has a very painful and like fiery death. So like, don't be Denethor. Don't resist the king, the actual king. You have to realize Everything that you work so hard for in this life, let's say it goes really, really well, and like you, you work for the kingdom of God, even whether you're working for the secular kingdom, the kingdom of God, whatever you do, one day, you're going to leave it all behind. And you're going to realize in that moment, when you die, or Jesus comes back, that it was never yours to begin with. <laughs> like, that's just true. You don't take any of it with you. It's evidence of the reality. He gets it all. It all belongs to him. So don't be the person that's unwilling to give up what's rightfully the kings. So, diagnostic questions. Okay, if you're like, okay, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I'd like to think through, am I actually living and working in the kingdom of God or the secular kingdom? <coughs> diagnostic questions here. Okay. Do you think God cares about your square inch? The class that you're in that you don't like? The friendship that you have that you're like, is this really going to work? Do you think God cares about that? The Bible says he does, every square inch. Okay, um... Do you know what your square inch is? Like, do you have a sense of like, here is what God has given me to take care of and steward? You know, are there gaps where it's like, I mean, yeah, I can see how he wants me to steward my, you know, my dog or my relationships, but like classes doesn't, do you understand what your square inch is? Do you believe that you've earned the square inch that you have or that God's given it to you? (laughs) You can't steward it if you think it's yours to begin with. Stewarding is about caring for what belongs to someone else. So like, What are those things in your life that you feel like you deserve and you earned? It's going to be hard for you to give those up to God. Are you working faithfully in the square inch? You know, I look out of this room and I think we've got a lot of very strong workers. But I know that all of us, myself included, there's areas in which we're not being faithful. We're being lazy. We're ignoring stuff. We're not doing what we should. Are you stewarding the resources that God has given you for God's goals or your own? This is like a killer one. This gets to our hearts, Right. Are we using what we have for ourselves or for God's glory? So if you're like me, you've got to realize from those questions, none of us are faithful workers, right? We're not the guy who's investing the one minor and making a return of like five or tenfold. That's not us, not on our own. So what do we do about this final point here? This is all like application. How do we change our lives? So what do we do? First thing, guys, repent of your self-centered work. This word repent means turn from what you're doing to Jesus, okay? And be like, I'm not doing it right. I know that I'm not. Jesus, help me. Okay, Uh, your work isn't about you. It never was. It's always been about preparing you for and accomplishing stewardship of God's world. So confess your sin to God. And he forgives you because he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for broken people who trust him. Right? Because Jesus is the only one that's ever accomplished all the work God gave him to do. So trust him. Trust that guy. Second thing, study faithfully. So, like, we're in school. uh, Most of you are good at this, I think, but, like, probably some of you struggle with this in some classes. What does it look like to study faithfully, to work faithfully in the kingdom of God? I don't think you have to care equally about every class. Like, there's going to be classes that you're like, I'm never going to use this. I don't like the professor. It's super boring. And it's a fight to keep yourself awake in class. But show up, right? Do the work faithfully. Do your best work. If you do this diligently, Jesus is saying, regardless of the grade that you make, it's not about the A or the B. He's saying, if you're faithful in that, he's saying, I see that. I care about that. If you're faithful in small things, prove faithfulness here. I'll give you something bigger and better to steward. That's cool. Okay, this one is kind of fun. Last thing. I would encourage you write a Jesus-oriented mission statement for your life and your work. If you haven't done it, you can revise it. Don't like stress about it. It doesn't have to be perfect right now, but like start, you know, this weekend or Thanksgiving break. Take it like 30 minutes and be like, okay, so here's my example. Okay. This is like what captures the way I see my purpose in life. I'm a gospel-rooted pastor leader moved by the love of Christ to help people take up their kingdom character, and the joy of his generous love. It's a mouthful, but I thought about it. I crafted it. And that helps me see what I do in light of the kingdom of God. You can do that, okay? Maybe it's going to be like, I'm a journalist committed to telling true stories that help people see the world like Jesus does. That'd be cool. That's a cool job. Maybe it's going to be, I'm a business consultant helping people express the passion God has given them through their businesses, That'd be awesome. (laughs) The sky's the limit. I don't even know all the ways that you can see your job in the future or your school right now in the kingdom of God, but I would love to hear about it. If you do this, if you like write this out, please send it to me. If you'd send it to me, I will buy you lunch. Your choice, any restaurant in town. I will, so do this. Jesus cares about your work in this world, so go be faithful stewards in your class this week. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you care not just about the spiritual stuff that we do, the stuff that seems spiritual, the stuff that seems religious. Show us that you have shown us in your word. It's all spiritual. Our work is spiritual. You care about it just as much as you care about our, our Bible reading or our quiet time. So, Jesus, I would just ask that you help us, me, everybody in this room, to work faithfully with the work that you've given us, right now, even if it feels insignificant, reminding us that you care about it and that you are giving us significance and even greater roles in the future in your kingdom. I ask that you do all this in Jesus' name. Amen.